0: So let's start again on page 71, specifics about the virtue of cleanliness, and we are up to how cleanliness works out when it comes to slander, lashon hara, right, to saying evil thoughts or saying evil stories about someone else. Regarding tail bearing and slander, the severity of these sins is well known and their laws are very extensive. The sages of blessed memory declared in a statement in the Talmud, which he has already mentioned, and everyone is guilty of avak lashon hara, implied slander implied slander means it's going to describe what does it mean and they have said what is considered slander for example one who says where can a fire for cooking always be found only in the house of so and so so why is that implied slander because that could be a nice statement that could be in the sense of he's very hospitable and he always has a fire on his stove because he's always making food for others and inviting people home but if you say it with you want to know where a fire can always be found go to this guy's house then you're saying he's a glutton right? He likes his food. That's really what you're saying when you say it in that sense. So it's the same exact phrase, but it's all about the tone, right? And what sort of idea you're trying to convey. Or one who praises a person in front of his enemies and the like. Here's a fascinating idea that the Gemara tells us in Baba Basra, right? You are not permitted to praise someone else in front of his enemies. And according to one possibility in the Gemara, you're not even permitted to praise someone else ever. Not, not to his face. We're not talking about to his face. We're talking about when there's another praising someone to a third party not permitted according to one opinion in the Gemara. And the Gemara says, you want, you want to know why it's not permitted? We understand why it's not permitted if his enemy's there. Because what's going to happen is his enemy's going to feel the need to knock him down. And that will lead to Lashon Hara. It will lead to evil speech. What about if there's not an enemy there? Why would it still not be permitted to say something nice about someone else? Because human nature is, and I think we probably have all been there and done that, that you're in the middle of praising a friend of yours to someone else, to a third party. And the third party's like, wow, he's a very impressive person. I really would love to meet him. And for some reason, we just have this side of us that we just automatically say, well, you know, on the other hand, he also, you know, one time I asked him if I could borrow his car and he didn't let me borrow his car. There's an innate sense of where we try to knock that person down. It's, it's, a, it's one of the uh, ugliest parts of, of of who we are, but but it's the truth. And the sages recognized this propensity in people. And therefore they said, it's forbidden to even praise someone else in front of another person because it's gonna to lead to a need to knock that person down. Although these things appear to be harmless and far removed from tail bearing, in actuality, there are aspects of the dust of slander, which is in Hebrew, it is called avak, lashon hara, okay? So the dust of slander is a way of describing there are other prohibitions that we also say that there are the dust of, which is a way of saying things which are somewhat related, very tangentially related, perhaps not as severe of a deed if one does that, but there's still something wrong in this as well. In summation, the evil inclination has many methods. Nonetheless, every word that can lead to harm or embarrassment to someone, regardless of whether it was uttered in his presence or not, is included in the transgression of slander and is hated and despised by the eternal. In reference to this sin, they have said, anyone who utters slanderous remarks is almost regarded as having denied the divine presence. And scripture states in Psalms, he who slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I cut down. Now incredibly strong language, right? To to try to delineate how careful we have to be with with this idea, right? This is an idea that I think um, People do fall prey to all the time, but we have to be incredibly cautious and careful to make sure we're not violating these prohibitions. Hatred and vengeance are also very difficult to escape since one's heart is very easily enticed by them, right? So now we're going on to the next, the next uh, mitzvah, the next prohibition, and it's gonna describe what the obligation of uh, specifics about the virtue of cleanliness, how it relates to this type of prohibition. So you're not allowed to hate someone else in your heart, right? what does it say in the Torah? It says, lo sisna et achicha bilavavcha, right? You're not allowed to hate your friend in, in your heart. It also says, delotikom titar. you're not allowed to take revenge and you're not allowed to bear a grudge, okay? So how does the virtue of cleanliness relate to this? A person is very sensitive to his humiliation and feels extreme anguish. Under these conditions, vengeance becomes as sweet as honey since it is his only respite, right? Remember, the Ramchal, the author, was a poet and a playwright. By the way, he actually wrote plays to describe like the relationship between man and Hashem, but he wrote it in like a a fascinating type of uh, an allegory, which it's a regular tale, right? Regular like um, like a chivalrous tale, but it's really describing something else completely different. And remember also that in particular, to someone who had a a difficult life and was hated by so many people, and cancel culture certainly came for him. Right, based on their fear that he was setting himself up to be a false messiah. So for him, probably the idea of revenge, the idea of vengeance must have crossed his mind. I I don't see how it's possible that it couldn't have crossed his mind. That if he would finally show them that indeed he he meant everything, Lashim Shemaim, he meant everything for the sake of heaven, and they would recognize that they were falsely accusing him, there must have been something crossing his mind that he wished he could have done something of that nature. And it could be that's why he uses this language, that it becomes as sweet as honey. Right? It's a very strong language to say that it becomes as sweet as honey. Therefore, if he finds the strength to flee the urgings of his nature and to override his own feelings so as not to hate the one who has evoked the hatred within him, and he neither takes revenge when the opportunity arises, nor bears a grudge, but instead he disregards all this and removes it from his heart as if it had never existed, there goes a strong and courageous individual. Right? And is he referring to himself? Not, not really. This is something which is easy only for the ministering angels. This is not an easy task, right? This is not something, yeah, you're basically a good Jew. You basically do your best to care for other people. Okay, someone humiliates you, you just let it go. Not so simple, right? Among whom the aforementioned traits do not exist, but not for dwellers of a physical world who are formed from the earth. Nonetheless, it is the king's decree, and the verses are clearly spelled out and need no elucidation. It says, you must not hit your brother in your heart, Right, Which means that if you have a, a reason to hate someone, you're actually supposed to speak it out. Right? You're supposed to try to communicate with that individual. It doesn't mean go over to the person and say, I hate you. Right, When you're too angry and it's not going to be a beneficial conversation, don't do it. But if there's a reason why you bear a grudge against someone else and you just can't shake it from where you are, you should try to find a respected third party. And go to that respected third party and ask to help mediate this conversation. Because if you hate someone in your heart, you're never going to get over it. It'll be a lot more difficult, at least, to get over it, just to hate someone in your heart. But if you can then come and discuss with the other person what, the, what, they, what you feel they have wronged you with, and that will help you get over it in a way that will lead to a closeness. You must not take revenge nor harbor a grudge against the members of your people. Concerning vengeance and bearing a grudge, we know that vengeance means refraining from acting kindly towards someone who has denied him kindness or has actually harmed him. And bearing a grudge means that while repaying a harmful deed with a good deed, one reminds the other party of the harm that he committed, right? So what's the difference between these two ideas? The Torah tells us two different concepts. Lotikom but lotitor. And they both mean, lotikon means don't take revenge, and lotitor means don't bear a grudge. What does that mean in practice, right? So we understand that the Torah is not necessarily mandating a, a, a mindset and, and a, uh, what your heart feels. That's not what the Torah is trying to mandate against. The Torah is mandating is actions. So what the actions are, the way that Gemara explains is don't take revenge means if you ask your friend to borrow a spade and then you come back and he says no. Then he comes back to you the next day and says, can I borrow an axe? Taking revenge would be to say, nope, you can't take an axe from me because you didn't want to give me your spade yesterday. Okay, bearing a grudge would be to say when he comes back to you the next day, can I borrow your axe? You say, sure, I'll lend you the axe because I'm not like you. I'm not the kind of guy who doesn't lend his neighbor something. So therefore, I'm going to lend you the ax. That would be called bearing a grudge. And that's forbidden on a Torah level to actually sit there and make that statement is forbidden on a Torah level.